20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome the heck in, everybody. Welcome in to this Victory Monday edition of the Pack a Day Podcast. I am your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. It is Victory Monday in an emphatic way. What a freaking performance by your Green Bay Packers. That was a all-time historic, you're going to remember it for a while win versus the Cowboys. This is as impressive of a win in Matt LaFleur's entire regime, in his entire era. This is a team, the Dallas Cowboys, that had won 16 consecutive games at home. This is a Dallas team that flies around at that stadium. This is a Dallas team that boasts a quarterback that might win MVP this season. This is a Dallas team that C.D. Lamb and Micah Parsons and this entire team was tearing through opponents through the course of the season. Now, they weren't perfect, and they certainly were not perfect on this particular day. But my goodness, this is a talented Dallas Cowboys team that Green Bay cut through like they weren't even there. This was a game that we all went into thinking like, hey, I think Green Bay can be competitive in this one. They might even have a chance to win. And you blink and it's 27 to nothing and should have been 28 nothing, should have been 28 nothing at half. We'll get to more on that in just a moment as well. But holy crap, are you not entertained to, you know, quote the, the Gladiator movie? What, what more could you have ever wanted out of this season? A quarterback who looks generational again, a team that is now going to be in the final eight by the time they play their game on Saturday, more on that also, they will be one of only seven teams left that can win the Super Bowl. A huge matchup coming up with the 49ers. We're going to have to discuss that through the course of the week, and we'll preview it a little bit at the end of this episode as well. But today is about the Packers dismantling the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas and really just punking them in their home stadium. Before we get to that, a huge shout out to our all new Packaday Podcast YouTube members Aaron Oberick, Mountain Man Pack, Michael Laird, Michael Redden, Tales of Gaming, Benjamin LeFevre, Alex Malkow, Tanner Sweeney, Afalm Rolfs, Derek After Dark, and Ryan Eckhart. As you guys have noticed, if you've been tuning in, a ton of new members almost every single day. Awesome content, awesome compliments from what people are getting. You get a members-only Q&A every week. You get the first access to episodes, a commercial-free members-only episode every single week. Tons of options. Go out there, check it out over on the YouTube channel. But enough about that. Where do we want to start? Because there are so many things to celebrate and go over from this game. But I have to start in one particular place, and that's with Matt LaFleur. There were some legitimate feeling fire Matt LaFleur people through the course of this season. I was not one of those people for a variety of different reasons, but I saw a coach from day one through now that while there were hiccups sometimes, while he has not yet reached the pinnacle, he has not yet held up that Lombardi trophy, I have seen a coach that has set a culture, that has developed players, and that has really made this team in his own image. And he deserves... So much credit. 
um, on so many different occasions. I mean, first of all, you go back to back to back 13 win seasons. Then you come back and have a really disappointing season that was going completely in every wrong direction and still found a way to rally the troops at the end of the year to get back to back to back to back wins, to have a chance against Detroit in the final week of the season to go to the playoffs. They fall short, but Green Bay had every opportunity to fold on that season and quit, and they did not, and they gave themselves a chance in the final week of the season. That should not go lost on people. I know that the bare minimum in the NFL should not be, hey, the team didn't quit, especially in Green Bay, especially in Titletown, especially what the expectations are going into every year, but that should still not be taken for granted. That team had every opportunity to fold a season ago. They didn't. They made it interesting. They got the wins they needed to up until the final week of the season. And then what I think is his most masterful season as of yet, you trade away Aaron. You go heavy youth, especially on offense. You have David Bakhtiari go down. You you know all the scenarios and situations and Aaron Jones, all of it. You guys know all of it at this point. To start two and five, trade away Razul Douglas and things kind of, I don't want to say collapsing, but not looking great, not trending in the right direction. You pair last season, eight and nine, no playoffs with a two and five start. And you're starting to wonder, all right, is this is this just the the dawning of a, a new era, meaning you had, you know, you had Favre, you had Rodgers, and at some point you knew the slipper was going to fall off and it was going to reach midnight and reality was going to hit. Was this, were we watching that unfold in real? No, no. And Matt LaFleur deserves so much credit for that because I don't know that I have ever seen a team go from two and five and like putting up three points in the first half felt like a miracle at times during that stretch. Do you remember when three points in the first half felt like, wow, like that, it took a lot for them to get those three points to an absolute juggernaut offense by the end of the year. And from week eight on to the, I mean, again, they started two and five from that to now, just through the roof difference. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a team go through that transformation on offense the way that this team has. And that has a ton to do with Matt LaFleur. The, the team two and five, again, sitting at that record and then three and six, with games against Herbert, Mahomes, the Lions on the road on Thanksgiving, you're thinking that this could be three and nine. Green Bay might end up with a top five pick in the draft. We had those conversations. No, back to back to back wins. And then just when you're feeling, hey, all right, they've got things back in order, two disappointing losses. And I'm not absolving you know, Matt and, and the team of those losses either, but to have those losses, to go through that adversity on multiple different points of this season and to just bounce back and say, screw it. This adversity will not define us. It will be what we learn from and it will strengthen us. There's no great team that has not faced adversity and overcome it. And for this young team to go through the different patches of adversity that they've gone through this season, from trading Aaron to the two and five start to the back-to-back losses, just when it felt like you had everything in your own control and in your own destiny, to where Green Bay is now, getting ready to head to San Francisco to take on the 49ers in the divisional round of the playoffs with arguably the best player in the NFL over the course of the last half of the season. Give credit wherever you want to give credit, but make sure that Matt LaFleur is one of the people that is on the top of that list. And if we want to talk about this game in particular 
a masterful game plan. One of the best you will ever see drawn up. One of the best that you will ever see executed. And it takes everyone. It takes Matt and the the coaches to draw up the game plan, for the coaches to implement it during the week, for Jordan Love, the maestro of the offense, to go out and conduct it and put on a masterful display himself, and then the offensive line to protect him, the playmakers to go out and make plays. It takes everyone, but it starts at top with the head coach. And as much as we immediately want to get after Matt LaFleur after every single loss and you know fire this guy and so on and so forth, he deserves you know, everyone's undying attention and credit and praise for what he's done through this season to get this team where they are at right now and to go from two and five to what looks like borderline unstoppable on offense in the course of a pretty small period of time with a bunch of infants on offense, first and second year guys playing for the first time or, you know, just still taking the training wheels off. It's unbelievable. And I think in 2020, we saw this Matt LaFleur offense and what it could look like. And then 21, 22, it just didn't quite look the same. Felt like Aaron just wasn't totally on board with some of the stuff. But 2020 looked really fun. And I think there was some hope. And all right, in 2023, yes, Aaron's gone and that's going to sting and that's going to hurt potentially. But you know, maybe we get to see a little bit more of what this Matt LaFleur offense looks like. And if it's not for Jordan and him reaching this level of play to execute what Matt's calling it, it all is probably for not. He could have the greatest game plan in the world. And if he doesn't have a quarterback to go out and execute it, it's probably much ado about nothing. But to be involved with that development, with that game plan, and just the offense and how it executes on a week-to-week basis, especially over the course of the second half of the year, it's been a joy to watch. And he also deserves the credit for developing Jordan Love. We gave Mike so much, Mike McCarthy, so much deserved praise for the the quarterback school and Aaron Rodgers going from the ball next to his ear to becoming one of the greatest throwers we've ever seen in the history of the world. And the same goes for Matt LaFleur with what he's been able to do. And it's not just Matt, it's all of the the QB coaches and, and specifically Tom Clements as of late, but Matt deserves a ton of credit for, you know, also bringing Jordan along and helping him in his development and getting him to run this offense at the level it's currently being run at. It's it's no one person, but when we're going to immediately put Matt on the, hey, fire this guy, it's, everyone's, it, it's his fault for everything that's going on pedestal, you have to do it on the other side too. And he, like I said, he deserves everyone's credit for what he's been doing right now. And yes, there was the the mistake in this game. He, he did pull his starters a little bit too early. You know, if you have the benefit of hindsight, I mean, he, I guess technically he didn't because you still ended up with a 16-point win. You know, he had to pull them and then put them back in. It was just a little bit too much time. I think if you go back in um, on that particular driver, even if you do pull Sean Clifford and, or, sorry, you know, Jordan Love and Aaron Jones for Sean Clifford and Emmanuel Wilson or something at that point, even if you do that, I think once your defense gets on the field, you still have to keep your defensive starters in. You had Robert Rochelle and Zane Anderson and Anthony Johnson Jr. There's just, there's too much, you know, there's too much uh, backup players in at that point when they're still running out Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb. I think that was premature. Matt said so after the game. He said it was his mistake. He'll learn from it. He will. And I guarantee you that's not going to happen again. It is a bit of a double-edged sword because I saw people already posting of like, why is Aaron Jones still in the game? And, 
you know, it's one of those situations where if they would have been up 32 and somebody rolls up on Jordan Love and he can't play next week, who is everyone pointing to? Oh, just when we think Matt's a genius as a head coach, look what happens. He keeps Jordan Love in too long. He tears his ACL. And now the Green Bay is going to have to go into San Francisco with Sean Clifford at quarterback. Those decisions look obvious in hindsight of like, yeah, you shouldn't have pulled those guys. It felt still a little bit too early. I think it was. I think everyone would mostly agree that even without the benefit of hindsight, it was a little bit too early. But again, if, if somebody gets hurt, he he's the one that's dragged immediately under the bus for having a player that's hurt in that situation. Um, so I have a little bit of accident forgiveness there, but that's something he's going to learn from. And overall, Matt deserves a ton of credit. All right, let's move to number two on the list. Jordan Love. Yes, he lost the perfect passer rating at the end of this game because of a slightly awry, but also probably dropped throw by Tucker Kraft in a situation where they probably should have been running anyway. I don't care. And what I mean by this is Jordan was perfect in this game. I don't need the perfect rating next to his name to know that. I know that he went out in his very first playoff game against a top five ranked defense where they've been unstoppable in Dallas and he cut through them like they were not even there. And it was a balanced attack. It was Aaron Jones and Jordan Love. It was everyone. It was not just Jordan, but he was the straw that stirred the drink, whatever cliche you want to use. He was in total command of the offense once again. And I'll just say it again. He was perfect. 16 of 21, 272 yards, 16 completions for 272 yards. Unbelievable efficiency. Three touchdowns, no picks, 157.2 rating, a 99.3 QBR on ESPN's QBR rating. Like, those, that's an unheard of number. Usually it's somewhere like 50, 60, 70, 80s is really good. Not even early 90s is like unbelievable. 99.3, close to a perfect score for Jordan Love. Pre-snap, post-snap, it didn't matter. He knew everything to do once again. Complete and total command of the offense. To on the Dontavian Wicks touchdown, a all-time play. To have the wherewithal, and, and Matt talked about this in his post-game presser as well, but this was something you could see in real time. To have the wherewithal, to go hard count. Two double-A blitzers, they're coming. It's big-time pressure. Check to Tucker Craft, make sure you're max protecting and that he's picking up a block. Also, Jordan knows to bail because there's going to be an unblocked guy in all likelihood. And he knows that he has to buy as much time as possible. Watch Wicks on the route. He gets to the top of his route and he's doing a couple jukes. He's doing a couple jukes. He fakes outside and then he fakes back inside. And the defensive back's just in no man's land at that point because he knows it's an all out blitz. You know, like he kind of has to go for the first move because the quarterback should not have that much time to throw if Wicks gets back to a second move. So Wicks, a little bit of juke, goes one way, cuts back the other, comes open in the end zone, but because Love checked at the line, knew the blitz was coming, got Kraft to protect, faded back as much as he could in the pocket, and then throws almost through Marquise Bell's arms into the waiting arms, a perfect ball to Dontavian Wicks, who won on the route it's as good as it gets. And I'll repeat the same thing I said a week ago. In year one as a starter, to have this control and this command, yes, he waited some period of time. Brett, 
did not look like this in year one. He had the first year in Atlanta and then he came to Green Bay, got a few games and then Mikowski went hurt and it was him. He did not look like this in your, you know, in Atlanta and your as a rookie, didn't look like this in 92 in Green Bay, did not look like this in 93 in Green Bay. Not this control, not this command, not this autonomy, not this type of checks at the line of scrimmage. No, Brett was not there. Brett wasn't there for a while after that. And I'm not saying he didn't play at like an MVP level and wasn't amazing. Trust me, I'm not even trying to compare and contrast. I'm just saying this is a level that he's playing at that it took Brett a bit to get to. This is not Aaron's. What Aaron had as autonomy at the line of scrimmage in her, his first year as a starter when he did have all that time to sit. Aaron didn't have all that. Jordan does. And he's doing it in real time. He's doing the get up to the huddle quick because they're in trying to get the free play because all the guys are running off the field. They did it twice in this game, forced a timeout in one situation by Mike McCarthy. And Mike McCarthy's seen that play before a lot of times with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he wasn't about to get it called on him and allow a free play. Good job by by Big Mike to get all the, you know, get the timeout and make sure that Green Bay didn't get a free play. But that's the second week in a row that the opposing team has had to burn a timeout because Jordan was going to get a free play out of it. This is his first year as a starter. I know I'm yelling because I'm it's it's unfathomable. First half of the year, Jordan, I don't know, like I said, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th best quarterback, legitimately looked like a starter, no question about it. The first question was answered. You found a starting quarterback. He's one of the top 32 throwers of a football in the NFL. You found a starter. But the question was like, is this just Jordan? Is he going to be like kind of topping out at number 16? And then the second half of the season is no, I might, I might be the best player in football. I, I'm not, this is not hyperbole. Through the second half of this season, Jordan, since Pittsburgh on, Jordan might be playing the best football of anyone in the NFL during that time frame. That's not a, it's a small sample size in the scheme of Jordan's career. That's not a small sample size overall. That's what, nine, 10 games now that you're looking at? Um, yeah, I don't know what else you even like want to go over. And he's playing at an absurd level. Like I said, he's the argument for the best player in football since that Steelers game. And for anyone that's like, oh, Green Bay got lucky again, or, um, you know, this is just, you know, classic pack. This is not an accident. And in two different ways. One, Green Bay did a ton to get this guy. They, with Aaron Rodgers, just going to the NFC Championship game, drafted, moved up in the draft to take Jordan Love, sat him, developed him, had to go through the mud with Aaron and the whole situation of demanding a trade and then getting Aaron back and then signing Aaron to an extension after he won back-to-back MVPs, giving Aaron all the time in the world to kind of finish his story in Green Bay. It doesn't happen. Then you have to have the, the messy situation where, hey, it's time to start Jordan. You have to trade away Aaron. There's a lot of mud that they had to go through to get to this point. And that, first of all, that took guts and gumption and belief in from Brian in what he saw and what he evaluated. If he gets that Jordan eval wrong and it costs Green Bay during the Super Bowl run and Jordan just doesn't turn out, like that, that's a permanent stain on his his resume. Instead, he went back to back to back. The Packers have gone. He didn't go back to back to back, but he got the third one of the the trilogy. It's it's Brett, it's Aaron, and now it's Jordan, and he is wholeheartedly, fully responsible for the Jordan Love portion of that. Job not done. You know, Brett got his Super Bowl. Aaron got his Super Bowl. It was what Ron and Brett and Mike Holmgren. It was Ted and Aaron and Mike McCarthy. And now it's, you know, 
Brian and Jordan and Matt. And they have to still, I'm not saying it has to be this year, of course, but they have to finish their part of that story if they want to be in the same conversations as those other ones. Otherwise, it's just, it's a great story, but you need to pay it off with the Super Bowl. Um, but Goody deserves a ton of credit. And, and it's not by accident on air, you know, on uh, Jordan Love's part either. And what I mean by that is you don't go from looking solid to okay through the first eight games of the season to looking like the best player in football over the second half of the season by mistake. Jordan put all the time in, all the effort in, all the energy in. He took what he needed to take from his coaches. He continued to get better. And I mentioned this on the post-game show, the live one. Um, it was almost like he took the first eight weeks of the season to just kind of input everything, to just kind of observe and watch while he was going through of like, oh, I can't make that throw. Oh, I, if like, if this happens again, I should do this differently. And just like taking everything in through the first half of the season. And then it was like, almost like that Steelers game. It's like, oh, I kind of have all the information I need now to just go and tear this league apart. I might do that. And then he did it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And he deserves so much credit, meaning Jordan, for the time he's put in to get to this point already. That that type of arc to go from solid to great in one season, it just doesn't happen. And Jordan deserves, again, he, he deserves so much credit for that as well. The offense has looked unstoppable. And of course, the question now becomes, what does that Jordan Love contract look like? Back up the Brinks truck. This is your QB for the next 15 years, whatever it is. And you're going to keep paying him a ton of money because he's earned it. He's worth it. He deserves it. And you're happily going to pay him whatever you need to pay him to remain the signal caller in Green Bay for a long time. That looked like maybe it was going to be like a three, four, five-year deal. Green Bay and Jordan Love might work out something that just like, hey, let's let's just get this set for like the next decade. I don't know what it's going to look like at this point, but tough to be upset no matter what Green Bay does in that situation at this point. Aaron Jones, 21 carries, 118 yards, 5.6 yard average, three touchdowns, a long of 27 yards, one catch for 13 yards. I thought early on, some of those three yard runs were really important. It didn't, it didn't look sexy. It didn't look great, but just getting some positive yardage to keep Green Bay and manageable down in distances, second and seven, third and four. And then eventually those small three yard runs became 15 yard runs, 20 yard runs. And I thought that was what was really important for, for Aaron early in the game. And then he just got going. Once the offense then got their points and started spreading Dallas out more, you saw more and more holes and alleys for Aaron Jones to run through, and he made the most of them. For those wondering, Aaron Jones will be a Packer in 2024. It's done. It's over. We, don't, we, we can look at the contract and say, how is Green Bay going to maneuver it and manage it? That is still a question, meaning there could be some restructure, there could be some extension, there could be some different ways that they play with the contract. There's not a way that they play with it where he's not on the team. That conversation is done with and over. Yes, there's been some injuries this year. You can't predict what's going to go in moving forward. You do have to get him some depth and you know try to find a playmaker in the draft, I think, to back him up. Because if you do go through another eight, nine game stretch without Aaron Jones, I think you you can see the benefit of having a dynamic playmaker in the backfield. You might even need to look in free agency a little bit because, or via trade, because this draft doesn't look particularly strong at the running back position. But I'm not super afraid of that. Uh, you know, teams find gem running backs all over the draft, undrafted free agency. 
You just got to take a couple swings on day two, day three of the draft, maybe even undrafted free agency. Hope you find that next guy, but they they can't be non-dynamic when he's out and you can't just expect him to play 17 games and you can't expect him to have 25 touches in 17 games. I think it's paramount that they do find another alternative playmaker in the backfield. But again, that's something we can discuss in the offseason for right now. Jones is running incredible. It's been a weird benefit in disguise of him being out for a portion of this year as he has super fresh legs right now and he looks spry as heck. He's he's running great. He's running determined. Did a great job of taking care of the football. And what we are seeing from Jones and Love in tandem is impossible to stop for opposing defenses. And even for San Francisco uh, next week and what we saw from Dallas today, even I think the best of the best defenses are going to have a really tar- you know hard time trying to stop both this run game and this dynamic Packers pass offense. Speaking of which, Romeo Dobbs, six catches, 151 yards and a touchdown on six targets. He caught all six targets, went for 151 and a touchdown. And it's so easy. And even I talked about this this week of like, I'm not giving up the Christian Watson stock. We see Reed, we see Wicks. I'm huge on Bo Melton. Malik Heath is going to bring to the table what he brings to the table. But it's so easy to just get caught in a little bit of like the quote unquote, like mundane of Romeo Dobbs. Just like the consistency. He's just good. I don't know that Romeo is ever going to be great. Meaning I don't think he's ever going to put together an 85 catch, 1500 yard, you know, 14, 16 touchdowns, whatever. I don't think that anyone in this offense needs to if they keep all these playmakers, first of all, but two, like, that's okay. And I'm not limiting him either. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just, I'm not necessarily expecting it, but that doesn't change the fact that this is a really good NFL wide receiver. And we get so quick to be like, well, we have to rank them. And, you know, well, Watson and Dobbs can't be a number one. Maybe Wicks can be a number one. Maybe Reed can. How about you just play all of them and play them for what they do well? And sometimes teams might take away Jaden Reed. And guess what? And maybe Christian Watson's coming off of an injury. And guess what? You need a possession receiver over the middle of the field that can just tear up a defense. All right. I got an answer for that. What if a team's slow on the outside? All right. You have a Christian Watson for that. What if you need a blocker on the outside? All right. You have a Malik Keith for that. What like what if you need a gadgety slot receiver that can toast a slower, you know, inside slot corner that maybe isn't too twitchy and doesn't have the great agility? All right, you've got a Jaden Reed and a Bo Melton for that. Just let them do what they do. We don't have to label all of them. They can all just be really good wide receivers. And in this particular game, Jaden Reed, zero catches. Bo Melton, one catch seven yards. Christian Watson, one catch nine yards. Do I think that Christian Watson or Bo Melton or Jaden Reed had bad games? No. This is what it's going to look like from here on out for this offense. This week was a Romeo Dobbs week. Last week was a Jaden Reed week. The week before that was a Bo Melton week. There have been Christian Watson weeks. There have there there there's going to be all of them. We saw Musgrave involved. We saw Tucker Craft involved. It's not probably going to be the same guy every single week over and over and over and over because Green Bay has too many playmakers, and that's great. That's what you want. You don't want a force-fed number one wide receiver. You want Jordan to go through the reads and go through the progressions and playmakers that are put in the positions to succeed to their specific skill sets. And Matt has everything he needs to put together a game plan like we saw today that a great defense has no chance of stopping because Matt has all the little weapons that he needs. 
fast tight ends, possession tight ends, possession receivers, gadget receivers, tall receivers, short receivers, you know, whatever, whatever he needs, he has them. And credit to Goody for getting him all those different flavors of wide receivers and tight ends and running backs. And now Matt's just like sitting like a kid in a candy store being like, Ooh, what do I call next? What do I call next? Who do I want to go to? What type of play do I want? And it almost doesn't matter. Just call the play, put the guys in positions to succeed. And right now they're going out and succeeding at a super high level. Do you need a number one? No, you don't. All of these guys are capable of being the guy on any given Sunday. Reed, Wicks, Dobbs, Watson, I think even Bo Melton. You need any of those guys to be the guy, they can go out and do it. That's that's the definition of like a true number one. Can, Can I put him in a position where if I need to play, I need it, like they can go get it. I think those guys can do it given the right matchup. And they have the different flavors of like, oh, that's Stefan Gilmore on the outside. What type of wide receivers does he struggle against? All right, we have that. Oh, that's so-and-so on the outside. What type of receiver? All right, we can attack him this way. They have all the flavors of wide receivers and options and weapons that they need. They just need to go out and perform. And they've been performing at a super high level. Great game for Romeo Dobbs today. Offensive line, Micah Parsons won pressure. Now, Jordan threw what, 23 passes? What is it? You know, somewhere on there, 16 of 21, 21 passes. So it's not like he had to drop back and pass a ton. And he got held on a pass play. I think he got held on a run play as well. You know, it's not like Micah Parsons was just like, all right, he was a non factor entirely. But overall, this offensive line gave Jordan time. They gave Aaron Jones running room. And against a really stout defensive front by Dallas, it was like those first three plays of the game, you had a a run for no gain. I think it was no gain. And then you had a sack that got negated due to a defensive penalty. And then you had a run by Jones that ran right into Rashid Walker and uh, Rashid Walker got like jarred into the backfield by uh, Lawrence. It was like, they just needed a few plays to be like, all right, let's settle down and let's get into this. And then after, after that, everything was perfect. But I thought Zach Tom at first glance, I'll, I'll go back and, and watch the tape uh, of course on, uh, on Monday here, but I thought Zach Tom was phenomenal uh, at first glance. Elton Jenkins had the holding, but and Rasheed Walker had that play where he got pushed back. But overall, I thought this was a really strong performance from the offensive line. Excited to go back and watch it on the All-22. What's going on, Packer fans? It is time that you make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. If you guys know anything about me whatsoever, you know that I love pizza, that every time the Packers win, I have a victory pizza. And what you should also know is that victory pizza is from Little Caesars. I This is no joke. Little Caesars, by far and away, my favorite pizza. What you can do is you can order online during their Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday, and then you can get ready for football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza, pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. For me, I have the same order every single time. I'm going with their hot and ready pizza, pepperoni, no questions about it, and more importantly than anything else, Always, 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 always get the crazy bread. It is, in my opinion, the best food that you can get on the market. I'm not joking. I love crazy bread. Love, love, love crazy bread. Get it every single time. You win when you get crazy bread. And speaking of winning, literally everyone scores with convenient delivery or their in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the game, and always get your victory pizza from Little Caesars. You won't regret it. Pizza, pizza. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. 
With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. 30 minutes in and we haven't even touched on the defense yet. So let's go there. Joe Barry in the defense. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth when you get those final 16 points in the last six minutes of the game to see Dallas go on a little bit of a run and just make things a little bit tight at the end and uncomfortable at the end. That's sort of like, that's your lasting impression. The last thing you remember is this defense looking sort of foolish by giving up 16 points in the last five minutes. And you don't want to see that. That's that's not what your lasting impression wants to be. But let me just remind you, this Joe Barry-led defense was up 48 to 16. The, the team was up 48 to 16 and had only allowed 16 points with 10 minutes and 23 seconds left in the fourth when Dallas took the ball back over on their ensuing touchdown drive. 10-23 in the fourth, it's 48-16 to with a 32-point lead. When this game was in the balance, Green Bay's defense played pretty freaking great. If you look at those 16 points that they allowed, they also scored seven on a pick six by Darnell Savage. In my opinion, that almost like brings that down to nine. A pick by Jair set up Green Bay in great field position. They get a touchdown, but even if Green Bay didn't move the ball in offense, like that basically sets Green Bay up for a field goal just on that Jair interception alone. So they set up, like they basically got like 10 points on defense in and of themselves and allowed 16 when the game was in the balance. So like I would argue that like they're only sort of netting a negative six points with 10 minutes left in a 48 to 16 game. And even the touchdown that they allow before half was aided by a awful special teams play by Corey Ballantyne, where they get it at like the 45-yard line, a awful penalty on a horse collar by Quay Walker that was not a horse collar. And then from a Joe Barry standpoint, he sets up the defense. Devondre Campbell has an interception right in his hands and just drops the pick. That should have been zero points at halftime. It is hard for me to say like the last six, you know, 16 points in basically complete and utter garbage time is going to taint a performance that when the game was really truly in the balance, they did great. Two turnovers, a pick six in that turnover, four sacks, six passes defended, a key turnover on downs in the third quarter that also led to points by Green Bay, nine quarterback hits. They came to play. And when Jair was in there, the defense looked great. I did think you saw a decrease in play when Jair went out of the game. Now, in that last 10 minutes, there's still plenty of things that you need to sort of take away from this and learn. 
playing prevent defense, I know people get ticked off about it. Playing prevent when you're up 32 points with 10 minutes left is the right thing to do. They just didn't prevent the right things. Like you can't allow huge plays and they allowed too many big plays. You can't allow them to get out of bounds. They allowed them to get out of bounds. Um, you can't allow touchdowns and two-point conversions. So you can't allow when you're up 32. If, if As long as you don't allow a two-point, like at least it's hold one of them to non-two-point conversion, that's a five-possession game with 10 minutes left. You're just in the realm of impossibility. So a four-possession is pretty impossible as well. But if you can just hold at least one of those two-point conversions away, now it becomes instead of four eight-point plays, you need another like field goal on top, and you're just screwed. It's just over. So you can't allow the touchdowns and the two-point conversions, and they allowed two two-point conversions in those final two drives. You can't allow them to get out of bounds, they did. Can't allow explosive plays, they did. But I'll just harken back to it's too hard to be upset for the defense where when this game was really truly in the balance and yes, there's some stupid plays at the end and it just kind of, you know, gnaws at you of like, could you just finish the game and make it so that this is like 48 to 16 instead of 48 to 32? It would have been nice. And I would have liked to have seen Green Bay's front just win in some of those obvious pass downs a little bit more. But I thought this was a good performance by the defense on rewatch. It's it's again, it's going to pull at you and be like, yeah, but remember the end and they kind of sucked at the end. They did, but it was not in the balance at that point. And I'm willing to put that a little bit more into garbage time. And for those that are saying like, oh, just a Joe Barry apologist. No, I'm not, I'm not crowning anything over these past three weeks still with Joe Barry. I, I still think there's flaws here, but this defense, when it has mattered, has played remarkably better through three weeks against Chicago and Minnesota. Yes, not great offenses with you know with a backup QB and Justin Fields. And uh, a, a Dallas team, that's really good. I don't know. Don't take anything away from that. But um, yeah, I'm still not willing to say like, yeah, long-term extension. He's awesome. He's great. But it's been vastly improved and he definitely deserves credit for that. Now let's go through pretty much probably lightning round for the rest of these. But uh, Jair Alexander, he did leave injured in the game. We know that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But a huge interception in this game. Super sticky in coverage when he was in there. As I mentioned, the defense looked noticeably different once he went out of the game. When he was in, the defense was playing with confidence. They were playing fast. And it just gave you, I think, a, a level of comfort where, where he was on the field. I'm excited to watch the L22 of him because it looked like this was his best game of the season, including the pick, but also even just besides it, just the way he was covering. Uh, there was a couple of plays where he got involved physically. It just felt like the the real jaw was back. And then, of course, you hate to see him go down with the injury. He did walk off. He walked into the locker room. Didn't look great. Uh, you know, the injury, just kind of a non-contact ankle injury and and probably tweaked what was already hurt. But um, Matt did say in the post-game press conference that he probably was not going back in, even if that game got closer. So he was going to be out for the remainder of that game. This is probably another scenario where you're doing everything you can and, and trying to get him ready to play on Saturday. Whether he can or can't is probably going to be a game-time decision. And it doesn't probably help. I, I don't know if this past game was on Saturday. I don't know if Ja would have played sincerely. I, my guess is he probably doesn't. And that probably changes the game quite a bit. But because it was a Sunday against Dallas you know, Jaw was able to play. Um, we'll see this week. He's going to have to get ready on a short week, but that is going to be one to keep an eye on moving forward. But I thought he was great in this game. Darnell Savage finally came up with that big pick. I, I mentioned yesterday, like maybe they could even get a pick six. They did. They came up with it. They got it. It was not Carrington Valentine. I, I still have not been able to speak that into existence, but I've got one week left at least, maybe maybe more, maybe two, maybe three. But uh, I'm still holding out hope, fingers crossed, that Carrington Valentine gets that pick six this year. Uh, ja almost had one earlier in the game. 
Um, you know, but he's down by contact. It was a right call. You could see it immediately. That was one of those where when he gets the pick six return for a touchdown, like I didn't even celebrate at the time because you could tell it was going to get called back, meaning it was a pick, but he was going to be down at the point of contact, but still give Green Bay credit for getting a big pick six. Darnell Savage, you know, he plays that robber role a lot and it hasn't always paid off for him. There have been moments uh, through the course of the season where, uh, you know, he, he hasn't always played it necessarily 100% correct, but on this play, you know, he came up, he read it perfectly, he jumped a route, and he just takes it to the house. And those are like the big plays that this defense has been so desperately needing, and it just gives this entire team a boost. And you could tell it was like a dagger at the time. There was so much time left where you weren't willing to really consider it a dagger at that point, but to go up 27 nothing was such a game changer with just a couple minutes left in the first half. It was very similar to the Joe Flacco pick six, you know, the the previous day against the Texans where he threw it and you just felt like it was a complete game changer. It was, and it was in this game as well. Uh, Darnell plays better, closer to the line of scrimmage. I've said that for a while and just playing instinctual football. We saw it there, big play by Darnell and a uh, a much needed and and much um, appreciated pick six for this Packers defense. Uh, Let's quickly talk about the special teams. I think the big the two plays, right? The 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 Carlson missed extra point. We're getting into the realm of absurdity with missed extra points. Like they I know that they're no longer automatic. You can't miss what is it? 7 now, 6 or 7? Like you can't miss that many. I the I went back and rewatched this one. The hold looks good, the snap looks good. It just looks like a missed kick. Goes right off the upright. And I'm I will tell you a million times over I'm not a special teams expert. Maybe the rotation on the spin of the long snap was in proportionate to the reverse angle of the, who knows? I have no idea, but it looks clean. That's one Carlson has to make, in my opinion. And there's just been too many of those. I, I don't know that there's a great option at this point. I did throw out there, like, there's nothing to say you can't have two kickers active if some of these injuries are bad enough where guys aren't going to be able to play. And we'll talk about one of those specifically in just a moment. You could add a Mason Crosby off of the, the Giants practice squad to the active roster, and you could activate both kickers. You could have Mason Crosby do extra points and kicks under 40 yards and anything above, anything 45 or longer, whatever it is, you could have Anders Carlson do. Um, that's allowed. That's within the realm of possibility. And if you're trying to win a playoff game in San Francisco where every point's going to matter, I think at least all ideas have to be on the table. I'm not saying that that's a great idea. I'm not saying I'm super stoked about carrying two kickers into a game, but I do think you have to look at everything because in a game where you're playing to go to the NFC championship, you have a kicker that you're not sure if he's going to make extra points on the regular. It's at least something that needs to be discussed in Green Bay. And then I think the other thing, and the big question is, are these kickoffs by Daniel Carlson only reaching like the front of the end zone because he can't kick farther than that? Or is that strategic? If it's that he can't kick farther than that, that's concerning because one of the big, you know, sort of drafting points of of Carlson was his big leg. If he can't even get it like midway through the end zone to at least make the kick return or think about it, again, that's concerning. If it is that it's strategic, I understand it in certain situations when you're up 27 nothing with two minutes left before half, that is not one of those situations. Kick that, you know what, out the back of the end zone. Don't give them a return. What are you doing? Your defense has pitched a shutout. To that point, you're going to allow a kick return? And Ballantyne plays it terrible. They get out to the 45-yard line. And then, like I said earlier, bad horse collar call, drop pick by Devondre Campbell. And all of a sudden, instead of, because of, uh, in large part, because of the special teams, 
what should have been a 28-0 game at half was 27-7. You lost eight points at halftime, and it didn't come back to haunt them in this one. It will against better team, against San Francisco. That would probably come back to haunt them. Like, again, and that's a that's a one point off the missed extra point, and then you set them up at around the 45-yard line because you don't cover the kick correctly and because you don't just kick it out of bounds, or not out of bounds, that'd be bad, but uh, kick it out of the, the back of the end zone. Things this special team still needs to improve. Now, Daniel Whalen was really good in this game. Three punts inside the 20. Huge tackle by Zane Anderson on one particular kickoff that pinned them deep. So it wasn't a terrible, awful day by special teams, but the Carlson extra points are getting ridiculous. And I just think on some of these, just kick it out of the end zone, unless he can't, again, which is uh, concerning for Carlson as well. Injuries in this game are still going to be a talking point, unfortunately. JJ Kingsley Enigbare. Sounds like he's going to be lost for the year. Sounds serious. I don't want to speculate, but you know when the coach says everyone's feeling for him and it's serious. And maybe they get good news on an MRI or whatever on on Monday, but this probably is going to affect him. Well, he's going to be out the rest of the year. I think that's very clear. And then it's probably going to potentially affect him going into next year as well. Uh, we'll talk about how they'll replace him in just a second, but that's a big loss. Jair Alexander, the huge one for this week. He played great. He looked like Ja again against San Francisco. It's going to be paramount that he is out there against Brandon Ayuk is playing unbelievable football. He's their like pure wide receiver. Debo's their everything guy. Christian McCaffrey out of the back. They just have too many weapons. Uh, Jair on Ayuk would be huge in this game and not having him would be a game changer. That'll be a huge injury to keep an eye on. Isaiah McDuffie goes out with a stinger. That's kept him out. I have a feeling that probably knocks him out of this game as well, but we're just going to have to kind of keep an eye on it through the course of the week. And then Quay Walker, no injury designation. If he went down and was kind of like grabbing at his legs a little bit and kind of having a little bit of a limp. Played for a few more plays. Then the next series... Quay was out. Eric Wilson was in because Isaiah McDuffie was already out at uh, this point. So it was Devondre and Eric Wilson. You might say, well, yeah, but they took all their... No, this was before they took everyone else out. Quay went out first. Eric Wilson was in. Because of the score, could it have been precautionary? Yes, absolutely. But when they brought guys back in at the end of game, when they're like, oh, we probably shouldn't have our backups back in, he did not go back in the game. Now, Rashawn was also not in at the end of the game. Darnell Savage was not in still at the end of the game. So it's a little bit tough to tell, but Quay did, again, grab his leg, go out before they subbed anyone out and then never returned to the game. So that's going to be another one to keep an eye on. And then AJ Dillon was doubtful for this game. Um, he, we'll have to see what he can do this week. If he's capable of coming back, the, the one really good piece of news is Christian Watson. Uh, Watson was still playing when they were up 30 some points in the fourth quarter and in the fourth quarter. So that tells me his hamstring was responding well, because if it's not, and you're not sure about it, you're not having him out there as a run blocker in the fourth quarter up by 32 points. So hopefully that's a good sign for Watson moving forward. And he got through this game unscathed, but Enigbare, uh, we know is pretty much going to be out, but Alexander Quay, McDuffie and AJ Dillon are going to be worth watching this week. As far as Enigbare goes, you still have Rashawn, you still have Preston Smith. You still have LVN. And then I would expect Brenton Cox to be active. I don't think they're going to be super active on like trying to find a veteran to come in. I think they're just going to give Brenton Cox a handful of snaps and it's probably going to be a lot of Rashawn Gary, LVN, and uh, and Preston Smith. But I do think Brenton Cox can help. And this is his opportunity. They've kept him on the 53 all season long just for something like this. 
and now they've got him. And he's a good player. I think he can come in and help, but that's going to be probably a little bit of a step down from Enig Bari, who's been playing pretty well over the second half of the season. But now we're going to get a chance to see what Brenton Cox can do in this defense. And hey, you never know. All of a sudden, Bo Melton gets a chance to play and tears it up. Maybe, you know, maybe Brenton Cox can be the Bo Melton of the defense. A couple of miscellaneous things. One of the things I mentioned in the pregame show was the team that was did a better job of handling the swings in this game. Uh, Green Bay was the benef- you know, beneficiary of going up 27-0, so they didn't necessarily have to handle a swing, but I thought they did a great job, especially in the second half, of you know being able to counter when, when Dallas threw a punch their way. Dallas gets a touchdown before half. They go down. They're driving down the field. If they get a touchdown, it's 27-14, and this feels a lot different but the defense did a great job of holding them to a field goal and they handled that swing. And then Green Bay goes and gets a, immediately gets a touchdown following that 10-point run by Dallas. They go and get a touchdown. Then Dallas comes back and scores and Green Bay immediately punches right back and scores again. They handled the adversity and the swings far better than Dallas did, in my opinion, and it went a long way in winning this game. Uh, 89 plays of defense in this game. And there's probably more than that with a couple penalties and things like that. So this defense was on the field a ton. They got through it. You could tell this defense was gassed at the end of the fourth quarter, like severely gassed. That's a ton of plays, a ton of plays. That will be worth keeping an eye on going against San Francisco this coming week. They are extremely, extremely well rested. And this defense played 89 snaps of defense. Like that's more than if you would normally play a four, you know full four quarter game plus overtime. Um, that can have a lasting effect going into another game on a short week with travel, both back home and then out to San Fran on the West Coast. How this defense responds to that will be huge, but you could have some tired legs going into Saturday night football. Hopefully the adrenaline of the game gets them through that a little bit, but that will be worth keeping an eye on. Two players kind of got promotions going into this game. Emmanuel Wilson moved ahead of Patrick Taylor into that running back two spot. I thought he did a pretty nice job overall. And then Isaiah McDuffie moved ahead of um, Devondre Campbell on early downs and was sort of their early rundown defender. Now, as far as Isaiah McDuffie goes, he got hurt in this game. So that might be much ado about nothing. And if Dylan comes back, the Wilson promotion might be you know, for not uh, going forward. But Interesting nonetheless that uh, both uh, Emmanuel Wilson and Isaiah McDuffie both kind of got promotions going into this game. Your inactive players were Malik Heath, Caleb Jones, AJ Dillon, Brenton Cox, Benny Sapp III, and David Long Jr. One of the things that Matt sort of said unprompted in the postgame presser was how it was really, really difficult for him to deactivate Malik Heath, but it just came down to a numbers game. I went through pregame and I'm like, all right, like, how do you not keep Malik Heath, especially with the way he's blocking on the outside? And I went through and I'm like, all right, who am I Who am I deactivating if I want to activate Malik Heath? I, I couldn't find anyone, sincerely. The closest I could come up with of, was like, do you just want to go with two running backs? And you know, Emmanuel Wilson last week did not play at all. So I'm like, do you just want to go with Patrick Taylor and Aaron Jones? And if you need somebody in an emergency, do you just go with like, you know, Jaden Reed or something? But I certainly understand the want and the desire to have three running backs active on game day. And especially if they had Emmanuel Wilson as one of those guys, if you needed like a third down back, you wanted Patrick Taylor active too. It was just really hard to find another guy that you were going to deactivate in the game. So I I agree with Matt that it just came down to a numbers game with some of the injuries this week. It it could maybe open a spot for Malik Heath, but um, he was 
inactive along again with Caleb Jones, A.J. Dillon, Brenton Cox, Benny Sapp III, and David Long Jr. One of the funnier plays of the game. I don't know if I'm just a sick individual, but you immediately, like the game has gone so perfectly well. You take over on offense, you put your backups in, and it's like everyone's performed so splendidly, and Royce Newman comes in and immediately has a false start. And it's just like, it's the most Royce Newman thing ever. I just found it comical. Um, just so on brand for Royce Newman of like, I know this game's going perfect, but let me just do my Royce Newman thing real quick here. Um, get this out of the way, which is an immediate five-yard penalty for Royce Newman. I just found it funny. Feel bad for Mike McCarthy. Tough loss. He needs to do a better job in big games. Uh, and he's muddied his water in Dallas. I think he's a still a, a really good head coach. I think Dallas would be wise to keep him, but um, he's opened Pandora's box and allowed anything to happen at this point. So going to be tough to say what happens to Mike, but I uh, hope he lands on his feet one way or the other. And if you are a Wisconsin sports fan, awesome day for you overall. Not only did you get this epic Packers win, but Dame Lillard hitting a three-pointer at the end of the day, down two from like I don't know, forever, you know, almost not quite from the logo, but just ahead of the logo on a, just a gorgeous three, just a beautiful day for Wisconsin sports. When you get a Dame Lillard game winner from three and this perfect performance overall by the Green Bay Packers. Quick look ahead. Packers at 49ers, Saturday night, 7 p.m. on Fox will be Greg Olson uh, and crew again on Sunday night. 49ers opened as 10-point favorites that quickly moved to 9.5. The disrespect is real. I do think Green Bay is going to have a little bit of a tough time in the short week with all the snaps they just played on defense, but don't rule this offense out. This offense is running on all cylinders. I do think they're going to put up points. And um, I'm not saying like I'm in love with Green Bay's chances in this game, but sometimes you get those teams that they rested the week before. They kind of rested their starters. The, they did rest their starters the final week. Even the week before that was sort of casual. And I, I think San Francisco is probably going to ramp up off of that just fine. But if Brock Purdy is just a little bit off, can't find his accuracy, whatever, um, Green Bay's got a legitimate chance in this one. And 9.5 seems extremely disrespectful, which for me is perfect. Keep disrespecting this team. They seem to respond better to that than just about anything else. Christian McCaffrey going to be a massive key in this game and finding a way to shut him down. Ayuk, Kittle, Juszczyk, Trent Williams at left tackle. Purdy's playing great. Nick Bosa, Chase Young, Fred Warner. It's just, it's a super team. They're unbelievable. They're playing at home. Hopefully they're a little bit rusty. Green Bay's got their work cut out for them, but they just went like a buzzsaw through one of the better teams in football. They need to do it again. I don't need to go through it like a buzzsaw, but they need to find a way to win. It's another game I can't wait to see. Looking forward to Saturday Night Football. We'll cover it all week long. You're not going to want to miss it. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Always appreciate your support. It's been through the roof through this run. Uh, really, really cool to see. Um, I know nobody, uh, you know, it's an insatiable thirst for Packer fans right now. Uh, everyone just wants more and more and more Packers content. Make sure to check out those Packaday podcast memberships. Everyone's, again, signing up, loving it. Uh, we've gotten great reviews on it, so check those out. Subscribe, like, comment, give those five-star reviews wherever you're listening on the audio podcast. Shout out to our Hall of Fame and All-Pro members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wilde, Shea Bradad, Arnaldo Espinoza, Jennifer Wright, Boomhandle, Donald Lee, Lori Lord, Baby QB, MB1023, and David McCluskey. I will see you guys right back here tomorrow, but until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!